This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. And indeed, it is Sandy Clough and Sean Rotar here on Mile High Sports, 98.1 FM, milehighsports.com slash watch, or milehighsports.com slash listen for those who prefer to entertain themselves that way. The more bashful types, I like to say, the, the, the real extroverts watch. And, of course, we come uh, courtesy of the Mile High Sports app, uh, every day during these uh, next two hours, Sean will be off for the next few days, and it is my pleasure to uh, bring back into our studio Dr. Rick Perea, the preeminent performance psychologist. I always have to concentrate on sure. that yeah. because the tendency is to refer to all psychologists who are in the sports field right, as sports psychologists, right. and that is not what you do right exclusively right you're a performance psychologist you speak in front of business groups yes, sir. major organizations not related to sports right. all the time yeah even as you are heavily involved in the sports world yeah absolutely i i think they're interdependent actually you know the one thing the two things they have in common is they're all trying to improve and they're all trying to beat their competition and so in the corporate world, it's really not a much difference than the sport world in terms of, you know, people accepting their roles, adhering to their roles, and performing to their peak potential um, from the neck up. And so working with corporations is very, very synonymous with working with sports teams. And so a, a performance psychologist is just more eclectic and more divergent than just a sports psychologist. If I just did sports, Sandy, I think I'd suffocate. <laughs> no really i mean i love i love working in the corporate world i i'm not ta- telling tales out of school here because we've known each other for 11 years and you did make a choice at or around well, i won't say at or around it happened early 2016 you decided to do something you hadn't ever done before i believe and that was work full-time for one team. Yeah. That yeah. team being the Miami Dolphins. Right. You moved, you and your family moved down to the, what, Fort Lauderdale area, yep. I guess we could say, yep. safely. It's, na- it's Sunrise, right? Davie, well, Florida. Uh, Davie. Davie okay. is where the facility was. Now yeah. they've moved to Miami Gardens. Right, the stadium right, is. right. The but stadium. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. wasn't Davie, Florida. Yeah. And uh, I, I get a sense of it because you were uh, kind enough uh, – uh, along with uh, Adam Gase, the head coach at the time, to invite me down in uh, 2017. So I spent a week uh, down there and around you and around yes. the uh, team a great deal. I remember of the it time. well. And yes. um, uh, but I, I think you found, and without putting words in your mouth, you just used the word suffocating. It wasn't that you didn't enjoy the associations uh, that you made down there, but you you found the job limited you absolutely in, in some ways that you found unacceptable and so you have since come back here right and uh, not necessarily redesigned your practice but put more emphasis on helping more people on all levels and you still travel 
from time yep, to time. You're still working with teams. You're still working with individuals. Um, you've uh, worked recently uh, around here with uh, not only the Broncos during their 2015 championship season, but with uh, the Nuggets shortly thereafter and with uh, the Colorado Rockies as well. And uh, you worked with the Rockies when they actually had promise and they were on their yeah. way to making the playoffs for yeah. two straight years back in 2017 and 2018. But uh, you did find that experience to to be limiting. Yeah. Which goes to show that even people who have passion for what they do, you make choices sometimes and they don't work out for yeah. whatever reason. Well, you know, for me, pro football, just working for the Miami Dolphins exclusively, like they wanted to lock me up. They didn't yeah. want me to do any TV. They didn't want me to do radio. Right. They didn't want me to write any books. Yeah. Um, they yeah. didn't want to, yeah. as they said, Mike Tannenbaum yeah. specifically said, I don't want you to give out our secrets and what you do for us. And I don't want you to do it for anybody else. So what will that take to, to lock you up? Right. And, you know, I thought at first it sounded good. You know, I'd yeah. be consistent and whatnot. But it was so limiting. It, you know, you've heard the, the expression, stay in your lane. Um my lane was very narrow and, yes, yes. and it was, and, and, and people like Mike Tannenbaum and, and frankly, the owner down there, uh, Stephen Ross, uh, their lanes were rather wide exactly, and yeah. often intersected with your lane That's right. yeah. and made demands on you. Even when you kept to your narrow lanes yeah. that were well suffocating. Right. <laughs> and you know, the suffocating part, Sandy is, as you know, me, you're, we're good friends and I like, I love people. And I love all kinds of people and I love to see all people succeed. And, you know, I've been an entrepreneur myself since I was in my twenties. So for me to help businesses succeed, for me to help corporations, large corporations succeed, understand leadership, how leadership plays a role in their organization is so, so empowering to me. And it's so in my wheelhouse, I can do it. And, you know, when you go into a Google or an Apple, there's so much more ready to drink Kool-Aid. <laughs> than many of these pro teams because many of these pro teams like let's just take a football team for example you go in there and you say i have 53 on the active roster you may have about 20 25 guys that are really open to what you do there's another 20 that don't even know what you do and then there's 10 that run the other way so it, it's 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 a very limiting aspect and here's the thing that's sad for me that we got to get better is the head coaches aren't making a great effort to understand the area of performance psychology. Basically, they want to hire a team psychologist and say, hey, you handle all that dark stuff over there. We'll handle the football. And what they don't realize is the two are interdependent. Yeah, that's right. You know, and we're, we're not just handling dark stuff. We're handling focus, concentration, the ability to stand in the pocket for that extra split second for a quarterback to let that second progression come open and complete the pass. That happens from the neck up. That doesn't happen from the neck down. So as time goes on, 20 years from now, hopefully more teams in pro sports will understand the difference between clinical psychology and performance psychology because clinical is pathology. It's dark. This kid has an issue. Let's deal with it. Performance psychology is proactive and getting the brain ready to perform at your peak levels every day. You had a great story, um, and I leave it up to you how much of it you can – uh, tell uh, when you first got to Miami and ran into uh, uh, a very talented player, big guy, uh, 
a good guy mm-hmm. uh, named Andamakan Sue. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he basically told you not to bother. <laughs> right. In a yeah. very polite way. Yeah. Not, not an arrogant, you know, yeah. I'm I'm above all right. that stuff. But he said, I, I know you're really good, but you can't help me. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it's first of all, I'll say this. Like, I... I'm not intimidated by any player. I used to be a player myself, and I just don't get intimidated by players. I, I think I'm more intimidated by um, females than males, to be honest with you. But, um, yeah, when I went down there, Domican, when I talked to him, he said, Doc, I listened to all your stuff. Yep. I looked you up. He says, man, you're great at what you do. And he says, but I'm straight. And I'm like, what? He goes, I'm straight. And, you know, in his terms, well, that, he's good. He's good. You know? yeah. And I said, yeah. I said, well, Here's the deal. If you think you are good, I'm not going to pressure you, but just understand that most players play at 70, 75% of their potential because they don't even (laughs) know. That definitely applied to him. Yeah, they don't even know how or what it feels like to have the neck up 100% so that your neck down can be 100%. I said, Adamican, you've probably been playing to 70% of your potential because you don't even know what it feels like to be on the parasympathetic side of the autonomic. And he goes, what? And I said, see, <laughs> I said, see, I'm teaching you already. I'm teaching you already. And he looked at me with a smile yeah. and he had to smile. Yeah. And he goes, you got yeah. me, Doc. Yeah. 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 Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know if he was one of the 10 or ran the other way, I guess. Certain respect he, he did, but he, he did give you a chance to oh, yeah. speak. He you know, was he was one of those ones that ran and then turned around to see if I was looking. <laughs> so it was really yeah. it was really a, a good and then in the end he did open up and we did share and we yeah. did I yeah. I think I helped him quite a bit. Well, um we're looking at the Broncos now in a way very different and you come on with us every week and uh, we'll make mention in a few minutes of exactly what we're doing now that's a little bit different with you on uh, a weekly basis with our uh Wellness Wednesday check yes, up from the NetCap uh, podcast, which can be heard every Wednesday uh, at 5.30 here on Mile High Sports. Um, we debuted last night, I believe, yeah. between yeah. Uh, 5.30 and 6 o'clock and uh, uh, talked to a couple of high school girls coaches. And uh, tomorrow in particular, we get more into what's going on with uh, the girls' high school basketball programs, uh, not only at uh, Arapahoe and Ballard Christian, but at a couple of other high schools getting together to play for charity. Yep. Rangeview and Highlands Ranch. Right. Uh, We'll talk about that a little more uh, tomorrow. But uh, the interesting thing to me about the Broncos is that they have changed seemingly um, from a psychological point of view, I think more than a physical point of view. Certainly it helped the defense after the Miami fiasco to get Justin Simmons back a little while Mm -hmm. later. And it helped him to get Baron Browning back. He had missed a good part of the first half of the season uh, coming off surgery uh, in the offseason. So he comes in and adds a a dimension, unquestionably. But I am astounded. They've made a few changes around the edges, but they're doing it with guys who are fringe players replacing guys who were thought to be potential fixtures, if not stars draft picks specifically. Right. And I think that's a neck up kind of thing. 
And the guy who made the big play on the first play from scrimmage the other night, McMillan, he, he has kind of come out of nowhere, and he's a regular now. He, he plays almost all the time. But it's interesting to me that some things haven't changed, even from last year. And one of those things is unforced errors, mm-hmm. pre-snap penalties. Yeah. And we remember during the offseason, Sean Payton taking his shots at the previous coaching regime for all the mistakes they made that were unforced, that were self-inflicted, that a good coach never would have allowed continue throughout the season. And in particular, he spoke about the pre-snap penalties. The Broncos on Monday, in Buffalo, committed five false start penalties. Mm. Mm. <laughs> now, they managed to win the game, but that's a lot of penalties. Right. And the crowd in Buffalo, I thought, was more nervous than exuberant on Monday night. So you can't say it was crowd noise, the likes of which they have not experienced by any means. The Broncos, as a result, in part of those five false start penalties, faced third down and 10 or more yards following four of the false starts, they failed to convert three of those. The Broncos have shown they are particularly vulnerable when they don't get into manageable third-down situations. This from The Athletic today. The Broncos rank 22nd in the NFL in conversion rate when they need to gain seven or more yards on third down, 21.6%. 11 of 51. Conversely, the Broncos ranked ninth in third down conversion rate at 56.7% when needing to gain six or fewer yards, third and medium, third and short, as opposed to third and seven or longer, which is generally considered third and long. That included a six of nine mark against the Bills in those situations, third and short. And on Monday night, the Broncos when they faced a third and 10 from their own 46 late in the game, they had already lined up for a whopping 10 third down attempts of six or more yards to that point and hadn't converted a single one. Now, Wilson threw the 19-yard pass to Judy. They got first down and three plays later, third and seven, nine-yard pass kind of flipped to Pirine, and they picked up the first down. But all these pre-snap penalties, I think Mike McGlinchey has been called for at least five pre-snap penalties this year. Just Mike McGlinchey alone. He's a veteran. Yeah. Five pre-snap penalties. Sean Payton talked about that today. Mm. Uh, He's talked a lot about the previous regime. Right. (laughs) But what about the idea that the Broncos are committing errors with the same sort of frequency in 2023 as they did in 2022. Here's Sean Payton. Look, it starts with reducing the penalties, and it starts with reducing some of the the unforced errors. You know, and there's going to be times it's not a perfect game. It's an imperfect game. But um, the some of the self-inflicted mistakes are the ones that are frustrating. And, and so um, when we get there, I'll let you know. Well, (laughs) when we get there, I'll let you know we're going into week 11, Dr. Perea. Your reaction, 
to what you just heard from Sean Payton? Well, I, I he didn't really give an explanation. He kind of dodged it. You know, I mean, the reality is accountability, structure, and discipline never go out of style. And when you have accountability on your team, that usually cleans up your your penalties. Pre-snap penalties are completely neck up. They're they're yeah, all mental. Exactly. We chatted before we came yeah. on the air, and I asked you that. that I don't want to misrepresent you or say something that's silly, but it strikes me that these are errors that don't involve any physical vulnerability right. or weakness. Right. It's a concentration. And yeah. again, it isn't the, 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 a, a loud crowd. Right. And maybe Mike McGlinchey is fearful of getting beaten in pass protection, so he jumps early. Mm-hmm. Well, and here, I, I bet that's about all I can think of, but that's all psychological. That's right. that's a reaction born out of fear, right? Fear of getting beat. But here, here's another piece of evidence as to why every team should have a performance psychologist because they teach how to focus, and it's really simple. You pay attention to relevant cues, which your brain will filter out irrelevant cues. The brain is bilateralized; it's not unilateralized, so we can't have two thoughts at exactly the same time. We can be happy and sad back to back, but we can't be happy and sad at the same time. Conversely, I can't pay attention to irrelevant cues if I'm focused on relevant cues. So when we're focused on relevant cues, that's when my focus is at a peak level. And you have people that can teach this to your players so they have such high level of focus. I would guarantee, I bet my car out in the parking lot, that if we have Sean Payton right now, how do you teach focus to your players? He would not say we focus on relevant cues that filters out irrelevant cues. I'm pretty sure he wouldn't say. Yeah, and, and and that's the scientific way to do it, Sandy. There is there is so much science to performance that people don't understand. The gap has been in our field, we don't have enough practitioners in performance psychologists that are good enough communicators, humanistic enough to be able to reach people on their level. I remember one time I'm talking to Adam Gase, and I started talking about the autonomic nervous system, and he's like, Doc, start, ta start talking English. Like, I can't understand. What are you talking about? So I realized right then that you can't And he always... was one of the more clued-in guys. Yes, he's one of the most intelligent ones I've ever worked with. But so we have to put it in ways that they can drink the Kool-Aid, red, yellow, green box, things like that that are cues for them. But there are ways to teach focus to teach concentration, to teach the ability to hang in there. So there is no pre-snap. I mean, yeah. who leads the, the nation in college football in penalties? A very distracted team, okay? And we know who that is. And they don't teach this there either. So you you got a couple coaches making multi-million multi dollars in salary who don't understand the science of performance. And we'll come back and talk more. We'll hear more from Sean Payton. Although Sean Payton may not want us to hear more from Sean Payton. <laughs> I will also hear from Justin Simmons talking about how the Broncos plan to defend, of course, not Kirk Cousins on Sunday night when they play the Minnesota Vikings, but Joshua Dobbs mm. by way of Cleveland and the Arizona Cardinals, now a Minnesota Viking and has participated in two games with the Vikings since being brought in. One, he started, the most recent one. The other, he didn't start, came off the bench and helped the Vikings to a victory. And the Vikings now have extended their winning streak to five straight games. All of that next 
as we continue Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports. Sandy Cuff and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Sandy Clef, Sean Rotar, and of course, Dr. Rick Perea is sitting in for Sean over the next several days. Uh, we can be reached by phone call or text at 303-831-1340 here on the Sandy and Sean program. Our executive producer is the great Danny Bailey. And uh, we were talking about pre-snap penalties. Denver is committing a pre-snap penalty at the line of scrimmage. 3.2% of the time this season. That's astonishing. It is. It is. And that's, that's, a, that's, you know, one out of what? Every 33 snaps, they're yeah. jumping uh, and fall starting. And that is tied for the second highest rate in the NFL. So there's actually somebody, <laughs> there's somebody ahead of them who's yeah. screwing up more than they are. But uh, that that's extraordinary. Under those circumstances, the Broncos are very fortunate to be four and five. Yeah. You know, I want something that the listeners to think about out there, the viewers as well, is that as psychologists, we're always looking for the why, like why things happen. So when we talk about that statistics of false starts pre-snap, why? We're looking for that. So there's some people out there that probably say, man, Dr. P, he just picks apart things. Well, I do, because that's what we do. We want to find what we call the etiology, the origin of behavior. Why are things happening? We always know that when we have false starts on the offensive line, we go back to the offensive line coach and the way he conducts his drills and the way he conducts his practice. Does he hold the players accountable? That's a really strong indicator of how well your offensive line will play on Sunday, depending on what's going on during the week. So I would say look at the offensive line, what they're doing in practice, the drills they're doing in practice, and is he doing things to make that that uh, brain receptor that's being you know, coordinated with his cadence when the quarterback calls his cadence so they're on the same page as opposed to thinking, oh, we have that down. No, you don't. In a 16-game season, then you got playoffs, you have to continually sharpen your skills and that means the upper cortical structure skills, too, that are coordinated with the physiological skills of coming off the ball. And so, again, there's an origin to this. It's not a mystery. We don't have to pretend there's a mystery. There's a mystery for a lot of people. And, again, a lot of coaches don't understand psychology, but we do understand the origin of behavior. The Broncos are actually favored. And a month ago, uh, considering that they're going to be playing on Sunday night, a team on a five-game winning streak, Unimaginable right? <laughs> that the Broncos would be favored against a team as hot as the Vikings are, a team that's won five in a row. Broncos, of course, have won three in a row. Now, the standard home field advantage is generally thought to be about three points, and they're favored by two and a half. So that's, in effect, saying on a neutral field, Minnesota might be favored by a point. Sure. If a neutral field. Yeah. And if it was home, it might be three and a half in favor of Minnesota. That's it's two and a half for Denver playing at home. But in any case, uh, this is where the Broncos have, have gone. And it's it's funny because 
they lost their first three home games this year. Right. Which had hardly ever happened before in their history. And it almost became, I thought, a kind of home field disadvantage right. for them that, you know, they're getting jeered by the crowd yes. as they're stumbling around against the Raiders and the Commanders and the Jets. And then Green Bay comes in and Green Bay almost beat them. Right. Their most convincing home win this year by far, by far, is a Kansas City game right. that they won 24 to 9 with Patrick Mahomes sick and half the Chiefs maybe halfway to Frankfurt <laughs> medley. There you go. Because <laughs> that yeah. was their next game, playing yep. the Miami Dolphins and Frankfurt Sherman. Um, they were not overwhelming on Monday night on the road, but I thought the victory meant a lot more coming in Buffalo than the Kansas City game here, a game the Chiefs didn't need. The Bills really needed that game on Monday night, as they have demonstrated in recent days by dismissing uh, one offensive coordinator almost immediately after the game. Well, I know one thing. You you brought up who is favored. I will say this. Analytics, you know, obviously surfaced about 15, 18 years ago in pro sports, and it's, you know, it's it's made its heyday, and it, you know, for some teams, it's still a real part of their analysis process. But analytics does not take into account qualitative behavior. It does not take into account human behavior and understanding the psychology of players. So I think I think that analytics is the spoke in the wheel, but it's not the wheel. And so favorite, I don't really care about that. I've, I've always told. Any coaches that I work with, whether they're on the NFL level, college, or high school level. Nine and a half point underdogs Monday night or eight. Yeah. Eight, eight and a half. Maybe I don't think it was nine and a half. But it didn't mean anything, obviously. You could tell from the first play of the game it was going to be tight. Yeah. Because Buffalo was making mistakes. I mean, I tell people this, and think about this. There's really no upsets in the NFL. There really is. There's no upsets. Because on any given day, if, if a team turns it over three, four times, then you really have given yourself a, a really small chance to win um there's certain things that happen in a particular game that increases your percentages in terms of quantitative but on any given day or night any team can beat any other team depending on how you play that day i was talking to a group of parents last night of athletes and i said you know it they were talking about who the best team in the state right. is in high school right. and i mm-hmm. said you know here's what i want you to remember it doesn't matter who the best team is First of all, we can be analytical about that. What do you mean? Personnel? Coaching? What What do you mean by best team? Record? It doesn't matter who the best team is at on, in any level at any sport, Sandy. What matters is who plays the best on that day. Right. As you know, the New York Giants 2007-2008 barely get into the wild card. They get hot. They play well. They win the Super Bowl that year. Peak. An undefeated team that was yeah, eighteen and up. Yeah. So, so to me, it's it doesn't matter who the best team is. Right. I I wish people would stop focusing on they're the best team. Nobody's the best team. They don't crown that until February fifth or sixth right. or whatever that's happens. Right. So right. we can only say that this team played better on this particular on this day, day. Yeah. and that's what's going to happen. You know, with Denver and Minnesota, it wouldn't surprise me if Minnesota beats them. Wouldn't surprise me if Denver right. beats them. It's going to be who plays the best that day. Now, what? We can analyze what the tendencies are quantitatively and qualitatively as well. But, you know, there's some real inconsistencies with this Denver team that they don't play every week. They have been recently. Yes. But I think there's a lot of people with their fingers crossed that that's going to continue. Right. I don't know that it will. We'll see if it does. Um, because I just think that listening to Sean Payton, he doesn't give me answers that I go, yeah, 
this guy's really dialed in to all sides of performance. Um, but so we'll see. But I think I think leadership. I wrote this down. I think leadership is playing a role with this team now, and I think v, it comes from VJ too. I think VJ has made some real changes to his sideline demeanor. He's made some real changes the it's, way it's night and day. Yeah, the way he comported I, I, I himself. Said, I, I think to you the other day, he looked like the calmest man in the stadium on Monday night. <laughs> and, Every and, time they cut to the sideline, and he's standing close to Peyton. Yeah. So when you see Peyton, you see Vance. Uh, especially when the Broncos are on defense, and he was calm. Yeah, uh, he wasn't gesticulating wildly. Right. Uh, although some weird things are going on, and the Broncos are giving up more than seven yards of play, which I'm sure didn't thrill him. But they negated some of that by taking the ball away four times. Yeah. The other thing he has- and there's a I hate the S word, which. Spelled S W A G G E R. I, I yeah, hate yeah, that yeah, word. Yeah. It just doesn't mean. Like, it, what is it, that? To me, it doesn't mean anything. I don't yeah. know. What is swagger? Yeah. Uh, you know, is it, you know, yeah. It, tugging on your uniform, flexing your bicep. I don't know what, what, what that means. But there was a confidence about the Broncos Monday night. Yeah. That no matter what Buffalo is doing on a play to play basis, they'll make a mistake. And when they do, we'll be able to capitalize on it. Here's two things I think have happened from a leadership perspective. You know, people will want to say, well, the defense is playing better. Well, the offense, Russell Wilson's playing better. Let's go deeper. Let's go deeper. Let's start with leadership. I think two things have happened. I, I just mentioned VJ, the way he yeah. comports himself physiologically on the sidelines. But it's also his communication skills. <clears throat> you know, VJ has a distinctive voice. He articulates really well. He pronounces his words very clearly. He's a very easy person to listen to, but he can get sped up. And when he speeds up, then it's it, it's like a lot. It's like you're drinking from a fire hose. So he's he's slowed down his comportment of the way he communicates. And then I and I'm not sure why this happened. I think Sean Payton has realized that he's not going to win a battle with Russell Wilson in terms of pouting. You know who's going to pout the most and who's going to come in and say, "Hey, I'm sorry. Let's make up." And he's basically learned to reach out to Russell in a way that he is building him and fortifying him now. Because Russell Wilson can really get down on himself. And again, you know. He doesn't I, show that publicly, but no, you can see that he does. He, he can times. very much so. Like it, it, It's almost like he's 14 years old. When he has a good series, when they get a touchdown yeah. or something, he's over there up, right. up, up. But oh, then, yeah. man, when it's the other way, oh, boy, he goes to the sidelines. And there's people out there that may say, well, everybody does that. No, that's not true. There's a lot of players that come alive when they throw a pick, when they come alive when their team really needs them. Josh Allen used to be like that. He used to be. He used to be. And see, this is the fascinating thing about psychology, Sandy. That's why I love psychology, because you think you start to know somebody, you have a beat on them, and yeah. then there's a change. So we're always learning and understanding these players. But I think leadership has played a big role in the Broncos being more consistent. Sure, the players have to go out on the field and play. I get that. But it's the leadership that prepares them during the week to get them ready to play. All right. We're going to hear from Sean Payton talking about what on earth is going on with the Minnesota Vikings. They lose Justin Jefferson, arguably the best receiver in the National Football League. There I go, fast. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, he's I doing things that it. haven't been done before yeah. early in his career. Yep. That is so... Uh, he's definitely one of the premier wide receivers in the league, right? 
he gets hurt. And I think very intelligently, he injures his hamstring. He says, I'm not coming back until I'm 100%. Because mm-hmm. hamstrings can be aggravated. Oh, yeah. Very easily. All right? He's missed five games. Mm. Vikings are 1-4 and four when he got hurt. And you're thinking, they're dead. Yeah. I mean, they'll be lucky to win four games. Right. They're 5-0 and up since. Mm. Kirk Cousins goes out for the year. They're 2-0. Since losing Kirk Cousins. Yeah. And they're 2-0 and with Joshua Dobbs, not necessarily the quarterback of record because he didn't start a couple of weeks back, but, and only the starter, this is crazy. And it's why I hate wins and losses when they're yeah. attached to quarterbacks. Because a starting quarterback, even if he gets hurt during the game, is the quarterback of record. Yeah. It's just dumb. Dobbs came in and helped them win that game, but the guy who started got technically credit for the win. But Dobbs did start the last game, and they won the game. Yeah. So they're undefeated with Dobbs. They're undefeated without Jefferson, and they're undefeated without Kirk Cousins. Yeah. What magic potion is Kevin O'Connell, the head coach, working (laughs) on? And I've seen his locker room Mm -hmm. because they put it on social media, the locker room scenes of the last two games. Yeah. And, boy, he is the ringleader, and he's powerful. He's loud, but he's articulate, and he's powerful. This is why we win. Boom, 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 boom. And here are the players that epitomize those qualities best. He's given out, naturally, four, five, six game balls. Yeah. But Dobbs has gotten one in each of the two games. And the first time he said – Dobbs probably doesn't know more than two or three names in this entire <laughs> locker room. That right. was his first week when he got in yeah. middle of the week, did, didn't even practice with the starters at all, and yet he's thrown into the game, brand-new offense, people he doesn't know, he's never even practiced with, and they managed to find a way to win. And last week, O'Connell in Givy Dobbs the game ball says, I think he's up to about three quarters of the guys now in this locker room <laughs> who he can identify by name. Yeah. But in any case, Sean Payton is talking here about how the Vikings have been operating since losing Kirk Cousins in particular with Joshua Dobbs now as the starting quarterback. Yeah. I mean, look, both teams battled back, um, you know, and they pulled off, I think five wins in a row and, and, um, you know, it's a, especially with some of the injuries, and when you look at, you know, you lose a guy like Kirk Cousins, and and then another quarterback, uh, it's real impressive. And uh, and I and I think each week they're playing better and better defensively, and and so kicking game, um, you know, the, there's their their own story of you know how they've been able to do that, and that's impressive because it requires energy and rolling up your sleeves and working hard, and they've been able to do that, and you know, fortunately we've been able to get that started as well. And the one thing I can think of with Minnesota as a group, their offensive line is really good. They're experienced. They play together for a long time. Maybe they've held it together, even from a psychological standpoint. But don't you, you have to give the coach, the organization, and yes, Joshua Dobbs, who flamed out in Arizona of all places, right. goes to Minnesota. And 
people forget actually the first month of the season he played very well, and then the team tailed off and he was part of that. And then he goes to Minnesota and he's playing even better than he was at the start of the year. And it, again, in terms of the uh, statistical measurements, the metrics, he and Wilson are about the same yeah. for the year. They have very similar qualitative numbers for the entire season. So when you look at the game Sunday night, I'm not sure who has the edge of quarterback. I'm not sure who's going to be playing better on that night, but one of them will. One of them will outplay the other. Right. And we just don't know which one it'll be. But, again, your reaction to Peyton's thoughts on the Vikings, and I think the way you talked about both teams, obviously, including his team, which he thinks has some of that same magic right now. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, Sean's reaction is very straightforward and pragmatic. But the one thing I want us to address, Sandy, is when we talk about personnel, Jefferson being out. Yeah. And they've won five games straight. Right. You know, Kirk Cousins being out, and they've won two games straight. And we put such a premium on personnel in this league. Mm -hmm. And I understand that, but yet at the same time, I think we overvalue it. Because we've seen many times a quarterback will be in one location and struggle. They struggle in the system. They don't do as well. They go somewhere else, and they play really well, depending on the system, depending on the climate and the culture of that particular team. I think one of the reasons we overvalue personnel is because we don't know the other aspect, the intangible part, how to measure that. And so when you don't know how to measure something, you tend to not measure it. And so that's what happens in the NFL. And not even consider it. And not even consider it. So for me, I've seen it so much in the NFL, college football, high school football, where starter goes down, backup comes in, and plays better. And you start to say, man, he should have been in there all along. Well, there's a lot of coaches that are scared to pull that trigger because he's, quote, unquote, labeled a backup. But really, they're a person that processes that are – faster rate, was able to understand the offense clear. So, you know, the fact that um, Jefferson's missed five games and they haven't won any of them, he could still come back. Haven't lost any of them. He could come back and they could still run off seven in a row from here. Absolutely. You know, so I think we get too caught up in that quantitative analysis. And what I'd like to say is, does he add to the qualitative climate culture of that team? Dobbs, to me, seems like he has a great mindset. He seems positive. He seems open. And, you know, that that's a vibe, Sandy. People yeah. pick up on that. And, man, that's probably a breath of fresh air in that locker room. Not that it's better than Cousins, right. but it's different. It's different. And, it's, it's and different. it, and it yeah. makes the potion just a little bit different, mm-hmm. and people kind of perk up in their chairs and they pay attention more. So I just think we overvalue personnel in the NFL. We, don't, we undervalue the qualitative aspects of personality, commitment, love, and trust. More from Justin Simmons talking about Joshua Dobbs. Uh, uh, Simmons has been just out of this world since coming back uh, from his injury and uh, the leadership he's provided on that defense and the plays he's made, the tangible stuff, plays he's making, including an interception, yet another one, against a great quarterback. He seems to have Patrick Mahomes' number and maybe Josh Allen's now too. We'll see if he has Joshua Dobbs' number or what he thinks about that. Coming up next here on Mile High Sports.
This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Well, uh, this little jingle may be apropos to someone who I think here in Denver is uh, one of the most unfortunate of athletes who come through here. Outstanding player, and he's never played in a playoff game. And he joined a team that was a Super Bowl champion. Yep. I'm talking about safety Justin Simmons, and I think you know Justin yep. uh, more than just a little bit. And I, I just try to put myself in his shoes as good as he's been. Certainly among safeties, one of the leading playmakers in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, mainly through intercepting passes, but also someone who uh, is steady, good tackler. Um, nobody has great games every week, but... Right. He has been particularly good since coming back from injury in this defense. I mean, Miami scored 70 off them without Justin Simmons. Buffalo scored 48 on Miami. I know it's comparative scores, and that doesn't always mean a lot. Right. But the same Buffalo team, basically, that scored 48 on Miami was lucky to get 22 off Denver the other night. And the 70-point game and the game Monday night were separated by, what, six weeks? Right. Yeah, and separated by the difference of Justin Simmons, you know, playing that free safety position. absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, people don't realize that free safety position, um, it's it's like the second Mike linebacker. There's a lot of leadership, a lot of calls that go through that position. And you have to be verbally and vocally a leader back there and play that way, too. I don't see them blowing coverages anymore. No. And I all I saw early in the season was blown coverages, yeah. especially in the Miami game. Guys running free. It didn't matter what the coverage was. The coverage got blown. Yeah. Whether it was man or zone or whatever brand of zone they were playing, they didn't seem to understand how to play any of the coverages without at least one guy breaking down we'll see and here. making a mistake. And now... I mean, I saw Allen the other night. It, he's first or second in the league in completion percentage, and every pass he threw was an adventure. It seemed like he completed 15 out of 29, I think, something like that, barely yeah. 50%, barely half his passes. Yeah. One of the most accurate passes in the league. Right. Well, imagine if, you know, Justin Simmons, as as um, he's the quarterback of the back end, if you will, <laughs> And he helped get everybody else in position. And so when you didn't, when you saw all those busted coverages, we didn't have the starting quarterback back there helping all the other DBs understand where they are. He's where 15 going. for 26, I sold him short. Yeah. And so that's, that's a big, another part of leadership. Again, leadership is helping the Broncos on the field too. I talked about off the field in terms of front office and management and coaching, but it's also helping the team on the field. And, you know, your leadership usually comes, usually comes from your Mike linebacker, your three technique, and your strong safety. Those positions usually are very verbal and vocal in their leadership skills. And I think that 
Justin Simmons, you know, I think he's in his eighth year. Um, he's still got enough left in the tank to to play at a peak level for a couple more years. So you combine that, his neck down with his neck up and his leadership skills, I think he's he's one of the premier safeties in the league. Um, and I just hope that, you know, Denver recognizes that. And I, I, I just, you know, not, I like jo- Josie Jewell and I like their other linebackers. Singleton. Singleton, but I just... I need more leadership from them than rah-rah. Yeah. Yep. And I need yep. a little more comportment of, of regulation and steadiness out, out on the field, um, getting people in the right position yes. and, and building people. Well, and, Singleton's out there 100% of the time. And Singleton, I'm going to tell you something. That guy, I used to play linebacker, so I always watch the linebackers. Guy makes plays. I mean, he makes plays. He makes tackles. So does Josie. Josie's a very... Um, utility type of linebacker he's not going to set the world on fire in terms of no. big plays no he's not a great athlete right back there difference maker but he does he does consistent and yeah but one of the things for example let, let's go back to randy gratishar one of the greatest things randy had was leadership skills he was a calm presence on the field <laughs> yeah every time he went on took a timeout went over talked to joe collier he came back in he was calm in the huddle. He was regulated. He wasn't this. He was the opposite of Ray Lewis, but he was effective like Ray Lewis in a different way. In a different way. And I think Denver could really stand to have some leadership with that Mike linebacker, that zip linebacker, inside linebacker position, um, and then it would go a long way towards influencing others to really follow. Right. Because theoretically, people don't don't forget this. If you got a leader, theoretically, you have to have followers, or else you don't have a leader. So we he would he would really inspire the followers to drink his Kool Aid and march to the beat of their drum yeah. to success. Let's hear uh, Justin Simmons talking this week uh, after facing down Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. They get Joshua Dobbs. Yeah, I think the number one thing is the poise with him. You know, uh, he's he's obviously bounced around a little bit, but man, he's so smart. Um, you know, he. The fact that you can come in, I don't know what it was when they played Atlanta, but like two days maybe, and you come in and find a way to win a football game, and it's not easy to win in this league. And so, um, and on the road at that, um, I mean, you're working snap count cadences on the sideline right before you're going in. I mean, that, that, I think that just shows a testament of the culture that they have and, um, and the type of guy that he is. And so it's going to be a challenge for us defensively. And he does a really good job to answer your question. Um, he does a really good job extending plays and just making things happen, you know. Um, a lot of the times, you know, in the first couple seconds of a down, the play may not be there, but he does such a good job of being elusive in the pocket, um, using his legs when he needs to, but throwing the ball downfield as well with all the, uh, you know, we talked about earlier with all the targets that he has. And so um, it's going to be a challenge for us defensively on that, on that note too, man, containing him, making sure that, um, you know, he doesn't have a chance to extend plays and doing a good job in rushing coverage. That's as good a summation as I've heard of Joshua Dobbs coming from Justin Simmons and all those things he says that kind of casually he's right on point every time he even noticed that the guy was practicing cadence on the sidelines before he went into his first game in Atlanta. And it was in Atlanta. I thought both games were in Minnesota. I was mistaken. The first game was in Atlanta. So I like to think I study these things. He was more accurate than I was. You know what I was thinking while he was giving his analysis, I, I said to myself, my gosh, he sounds more prepared yes. and more articulate than a coach given his analysis after the NFL combine right. about a player. Right. 
Because what we do after the combine is coaches will get up and talk about the players they're scouting and recruiting and, and before the draft. And they'll say, okay, this is their strong points. This is their weak points. This is, he, he could have stepped into a, a, an NFL war room of coaches and been in the top 10% of being articulate, communicating clearly what he saw in a player. That was, that was an incredible rendition of just understanding who you're playing against. And we have a term that we, we use in football. It's called KYP. Know your personnel. <laughs> he knows his personnel. He knows his personnel, and that's why he's uh, the great uh, safety he is. And I think uh, Denver's most valuable player on either side of the ball. I think he's the MVP. Well, he's MVP of a team that hasn't made the playoffs uh, for seven and maybe going on now eight years, although – uh, there is some hope. We'll talk more about that on the other side. We'll also uh, delve into uh, what has been happening this week at the University of Colorado, and a lot of what's been happening is Deion Sanders answering questions about whether he will be the next coach or not at Texas A&M. That's all coming up next. Fire all of your guns, the guns and explode into space. 